0: All right, again, we're in Ephesians, guys. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 to 33. Yeah, so husbands, back to verse 25, we'll start there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to look at your word. We're so thankful for uh, just the chance to be challenged by what you say about who we are, about who you are, and honestly, God, we're just, we're, um, we're moved by how holy and good you are, God. You are merciful to us beyond measure, and we don't deserve what you pour out on us. And so we thank you, God. And so I pray, God, as we look at this text and as we look at who you are and you're coming to this earth, I pray you would awaken our hearts uh, to put you first, to chase after you in everything that we've got. Um, Lord, take this time. May it be your words, not mine. Uh, thank you for all the technical difficulties this morning, God. We are dependent on you, God, in everything, in every aspect of all our life. And even in this service, God, we depend on you. So Holy Spirit, just invite you to challenge and encourage our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as you guys know, Advent is this time when we consider and are challenged by the very fact that Jesus came to earth, right? That The Trinitarian God, that the Lord of all heaven and earth, the creator of all things, stepped into time, which he is above, and existed within it in a way that we exist in it, came as a baby, such a humble circumstance that people didn't even realize he was the Savior 30 years later, even though he was born to a virgin. Consider how magnificent the birth story is. And then think about when Jesus started his ministry, we're like, who's this guy? Like, did you guys not like hear about the shepherds and the wise men that came from miles away to see this baby? Did you not get that story? Because that's what we read, right? You, it's very difficult to contrast that. But but the reason why nobody believed that he was the Messiah when he came onto the scene was that his circumstances were so humble. How could anything good come out of Nazareth? Literally, people were saying of him, right? And so we see this uh, amazing picture of Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of heaven and earth, stepping into time, and coming to us. And so, as a church, over the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, taking a break from the Book of Mark and stepping into this season of Advent to consider how great a thing it is that the God of heaven would step into time and serve in the way that He did. And so, um, our question is how? Has, our question has been two things over the, over this series, and the first is this. How does the coming of Jesus, the bridegroom, impact us as a church in following his lead? That's the first thing we've been looking at as we look at these ideas of his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. How does that impact us as a body of Christ, like a a local expression of it? And the second is this. We've been taking some time to consider these passages and consider Jesus as the husband of the church, which is literally what he's described as in Ephesians. How does this relationship between Christ and the church and form a very important relationship in our lives, husband and wife. For those of us who are married, it is important for us to look at this passage and go, okay, if Jesus is to be a husband and and the church is to be his wife, then there's a mysterious picture in that. It's literally, uh, literally Paul calls out, therefore, verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul says, I cannot comprehend. It is a mystery. This is a mystery that I'm proclaiming to you. There is an equation that says husband and wife is equal to Christ in the church, right? And so how does that interplay work? We've been trying to wrestle with that as we consider the coming to earth of the bridegroom, Jesus. So the first week we looked at Joseph and Mary and how this humble service of Joseph and Mary, they obediently followed the Lord in their marriage in spite of what anybody around them could possibly think about what is going on, right? We considered that and how how humble his circumstances were and even how scandalous his circumstances might, might have appeared from the outside looking in. And, and last week Luke walked through uh, Philippians 2 and, and talked about how Uh, Jesus' life is to be a model of what we're to do and a description of the mission that we are to be going on. He's saying, look at Jesus' life. What did he do? He came and he served, right? He came and made himself low. He came with a purpose to exalt Christ, not considering uh, his deity something to grasp. He said, "I, I forsook my deity and became a man, and he became so much a man that I was obedient to death on the cross, to the enemies of our nation, right? Like, what he did is absurd, if you step back and look at it. So this is how he modeled it to us. And today, we're gonna focus in a little bit closer on the very um, purpose of his coming, which is to die, right? The reason he came to earth was not just to give us this moral picture to follow. And you all know this, you've been in these conversations where you're talking about Jesus, and someone says, I love Christianity, because it provides such a great model of how we should be a good person, right? Anybody been in a conversation like that, right? You've been there. You're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, he teaches us how to be a good person a little bit more, right? Uh, he, he does do that. He shows us what that looks like, right? He says, hey, uh, don't forsake these children from coming to me, right? He goes to the enemies of the nation and, and actually performs miraculous works there. He, he really breaks some paradigms and does show us a, an amazing model to follow, right? But he came as a perfect lamb, destined to walk to a cross and die for a broken humanity that cannot be good on its own. You remember the person that came to Jesus and said, good teacher. <laughs> and Jesus didn't even answer his question. He said, why do you call me good? Right? No man is good. Right? And so, so Jesus had a purpose. And I'm, what I'm going to demonstrate to start out, this may be a weird spot to start for our passage, you think. But I think it's very important for us to start out here. The purpose and intention of of Jesus going to die, okay? This is very clear through his life and throughout scripture. So stepping back a little bit, prior to this Advent series, we've been in Mark for a few months, right? We've been looking through Mark and up to this point in our study of Mark, we've seen Jesus proclaiming the good news. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. I know you're nauseated by the three statements by this time, but hopefully that's a good thing. Um, So he's been proclaiming this thing and he's been doing these amazing works and recently you might have noticed in chapters 8 through 10, okay, in this very short span of passages, three times he turns to the disciples and says, "I am headed to Jerusalem to die." And they cannot receive it. They, they are like offended by it, concerned by it, confused by it, afraid to ask him about it, like they are tripped out by these statements, but over and over again he says it, Mark 8:31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Uh, It's after that one that Peter says, no, 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 you can't do that, and Jesus rebukes him and calls him Satan. That was fun. Um, Then Mark 9, 30 to 32, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And then again, here when we get back to it uh, in in January, Mark 10, verses 32 to 34, says this, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after 3 days he will rise. Mark is trying to put on display for us in the very center of his book highlighting this fact. The purpose of Jesus coming to proclaim the kingdom is to show that the only way into the kingdom is through the death of the Son Jesus Christ. This is the center point of Jesus' ministry, to go to the cross and die for our sin. The driving force behind why Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, came to earth was that he might die on our behalf. And the rest of the New Testament reflects and proclaims this over and over again. So sorry to pepper you with lots of different verses, but here we go. 1 Corinthians 15.3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First Thessalonians 5, 9-10, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Hebrews 12, 1-2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How did he found and perfect our faith, right? By setting the joy that was before him and endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. John 3, 14 to 17, And as Moses, was lifted, up, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Gave, as in gave him unto death. Gave him over to death. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And finally, 1 Peter 2, 23 to 24. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus, in his incarnation, came with the purpose and calling to go to the cross on our behalf. If we muddy the waters on that and get focused on other things at all, we miss the point of his life. The point of his life was to come and die, that we might be found in him, his righteousness. It was the only way for us to return unto his righteousness, that a holy sacrifice be made on our behalf, and that is the Lord Jesus. So this week, I I gave you, uh, we gave you a a passage of scripture that uh, some may consider a challenging marriage passage to work through, Right? Um, you know, we worked through this at Community Group, Ephesians 5, to 23, which starts out with the lovely phrase that culture loves, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let me just say this before I jump into this section, right? Okay. Hold everything I said about Jesus in your mind, okay? The call on Jesus' life was to die. If you are his followers, the call is to do the same. If you follow Jesus, he is the one that went to die. And so some aspect of following Jesus is to die, okay? If we're buried in baptism with him, we're saying, I'm crucifying the old flesh, and I'm living a new life. So something has changed, and that change is reflected by what Christ has done on the cross for you. And that sacrifice on the cross should start manifesting itself in your life, okay? So as we get into Ephesians 5, Again, I want to say this. It is dangerous to pick up a passage and not give you any context. I mean, we we do it all the time. We want to talk topically, we want to speak topically. And if we're going to walk through this, you have to know a little bit more about the surrounding passages of verses 22 to 33. So I want to give you just a few quick nuggets about Ephesians to remind you of before I dissect it and then challenge us uh, from this word. The first is this, the context. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul. Okay, you guys got that? Ephesians is a letter written by Paul, and it's addressed to Christians, okay? Paul is addressing Christians with this letter. So there's a big assumption there, right, that the people hearing this letter aren't not Christians. They are Christians, okay? When they're receiving it, they're hearing words from Paul about how to live a Christ-centered life. Paul is not giving non-Christians advice on how to run their life, okay? So for a non-Christian to go look at this passage and go, man, Christians are weird. Wives submit to husbands and husbands love, like, I don't understand this. Yeah, of course you don't understand this, because you don't have the rubric of a Savior that has come to earth and died for you. You don't have that understanding. And so know that the context of this passage is Paul is writing this to Christians to say, Christians, this is how you ought to live, okay? Okay? Second is this, in verses 15 to 21, he sets up for us what submission actually looks like. Ephesians 15 to 21. He calls on Christians to to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, saying this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the call Paul is putting on Christians is that you are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for what Jesus has done for you. If Jesus has come and died for all your sin, right? Died for the fact that in your past, you might have wasted time, not carefully walked, been foolish, got drunk with wine, uh, like trusted in your flesh instead of spirit. In light of that, Jesus came and died and said, I'm going to pay for all that. And said, I'm going to call you to a different life, Christian. Right? And so out of that context, he says, submit unto one another, the whole body of christ wives husbands children you know fathers mothers you know brothers sisters friends submit unto one another out of reverence for jesus your whole action in life is to serve one another as jesus has served you and so it can be very easy if you like you know separate this passage out and just look at it to not get this idea that this is about looking to one another it can be very easy to read this passage and go um I don't feel good about what this passage is telling me to do as a woman or me to do as a man. And the fact is, that's not the point. (laughs) The point is, it is telling you as a woman and you as a man how you are to express the Christ-centered love to the most important individual in your life. See, if we read this passage wrongly, we read it about ourselves, And God is asking us to read it about those around us, to look outward as we read it and say, as a wife, I'm going to submit to my husband just as the church is submitting to Christ as Lord. I'm seeing what Christ has done for me, and hopefully I'm seeing what my Christian husband is pouring out for me, and I'm responding out of love. In the same way for men. I'm looking at my wife not as, you know, this chore that I have to take care of, but rather as my joy and my delight, and I would give all my life to serve her. Right? I'm not looking at it the lens of how it affects me. I'm looking at it on the lens of how I can serve outwardly. Very important distinction. So this is how Paul is calling us to walk in submission to one another. The next thing that i got to say about this context is this, that... Uh, Paul, in this passage, again, gives the call to all Christians to submit unto one another. And then in three iterations, actually kind of like, yeah, three iterations, really, he talks about three different types of relationships to bear this out. He talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. He talks about children and parents. And he talks about employers and employees. Okay? These are three relationships uh, that he talks about. And he gives instruction about how those individuals are to operate with one another. Gives them instruction. It's very easy for us to read, wives submit to your husbands, as wives obey your husbands. Okay? Frankly, I think that's how we tend to read it. Wives, full obedience to husband, serve husband. That's, that's how we read it. Okay? That's not how it's written. It is written, wives submit willingly come under your husband, not out of compulsion, but willingly submit, just as the church willingly submits to Christ, so you too willingly submit to your husband. And I'll tell you why the contrast is there. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 1. I don't have it on the screen. It says, children, obey your parents. A different word, okay? He tells children to obey your parents. Children don't have a choice in this, okay? Sorry, guys. Sorry. Sorry. Hey, I can't, I, wow, dang, I can't help it, man. You were born to this family, and so you got to obey, right? And he gives you a promise, kiddos. He gives you a promise, okay? He says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, okay? If you want, do you want it to go well in your life? Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus says, obey your parents. Sorry, I know, it's terrible. Um, so the, the obedience is given to children in regard to their parents, and the obedience is given for employees unto employers, If you get hired for a job, guess what? The owner of that company is in charge of what you do. That's it. there's There's some freedom in that too, okay? You are not responsible for what the company does. You are just responsible to obey your employer and do what your employer says. Even if you look at this situation and go, this makes no sense. I have no idea why I'm doing what I'm doing. You literally, you can have that understanding and go, this doesn't make sense for me to spend my time this way but you know what? You're your employer's employee. And if he says to jump, you ask him how high, literally. I mean, you obey your employer and let let them bear the responsibility of the company that they are running, okay? And he doesn't say to do that, okay, before we get all snarky and, you know, feel good about that. Um, He doesn't say to do that out of apathy, but rather as though you are working for the Lord, Obey your employer as if you were working for the Lord. Wow, okay, that can transform your work life for sure. Um, okay, so that's the context. So when you read this and you go, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Remember, this. it's different than children and parents. It's different than employer and employee. This is a loving and beautiful relationship that has been entered into willingly. And as a display of the glory of Christ in the church, he is telling wives, submit Unto your husband, he has been called to do something, and you've been called to help him. You've been called to be a unit, unified in what God has called you to go about and do. Okay, so verses twenty-two to twenty-four. It's interesting. I was I was picking this apart. I'm like, okay, what is the instruction to wives, and what is this instruction? to husbands, right, as you look at this passage. And it's interesting, uh, even in the instruction to wives, it's actually an instruction to husbands. (laughs) You just check this out, okay? He says, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And hey, Mark, guess what? That word, I agree, is not there. Submit, it's not there, okay? It's not there. It is assumed because it is exactly tied to the passage above that submission is in play when he's talking about it. We can talk about that Greek question. If you've got the question about what I just said, we'll talk about it later, okay? But um, it is definitely there, and that's why the writers or translators put it there. Anyway, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, For okay, listen to how it's described, right? You should submit to your husband, and this is why. Because husband, you're the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. No pressure. No big deal, Right? right? Like, yeah, okay, that's an easy one. Um, He, uh, you are his body, and is himself its savior, right? Three things there that he actually instructs to the husbands, and so husbands, uh, if, you know, if you're wondering how you're going to make it uh, very simple for this relationship to be unified, and for your wife to, uh, you know, willingly see that, like, hey, yeah, I do want to, I do want to come under this man. I want to follow him, and I want to do what God calls us to do as a couple, this willing, mutual uh, submission that is going on, um, then this is what you should be like, husband. You should recognize that your wife is your responsibility. Your wife is your responsibility. He says, husband, you're the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, who's the head of this church? Jesus. Okay. I mean, I could die tomorrow and Jesus is on the throne. Okay. Jesus is in charge of this church. Okay. He is the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. Anybody else is just an under shepherd that has no idea what they're doing. Okay. And I'm talking about myself for sure. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so Gentlemen, husbands, if you're a husband, your wife is your responsibility. Spiritually, it is your job to take responsibility for what is happening in your relationship with your wife. It's your responsibility to take the lead. And I guarantee that if you are taking the lead as Christ takes the lead, then that's this word, wives, submit to your husbands, is not even going to be a problem, Okay? It's not even going to sound ugly it's going to be so compelling and so desirous that your wife's going to be like, yeah, I'll go to the moon with that guy. Right? It is. And so, of course, I'm going to lose power here. Sweet. So that's the first thing. Your wife is your responsibility. second thing, he says that the church is Christ's body, his body. Okay? Your wife is your joy. Husbands, your wife is your joy. If you're not finding your joy in your wife, then something's wrong, okay? Jesus, Paul is explaining to us that the church is Christ's body. It is his joy. Later on, he says, who who ruins their body? No, we cherish our own bodies, right? And I cherish my wife. She is my joy. Without her, I am nothing, like a whole lot of nothing, and she is my joy. And I hope that for all the husbands in this room, you look at your wife and go, I'm living for you, babe. Like There's nothing else I want in this life than to be with you and for you and fighting for you in everything, right? Your wife is your responsibility. Your wife is your joy. Second, your wife is your calling. It's your first calling, okay? You might have a job to do, and that's good. You got to do your job and all that. You might have kids, okay? Kids are good. love you, Hattie. You're a great kid. But you heard me say this just the other day in the living room. I was like, you know who I love the most? Your mom, absolutely, absolutely, your mom, right? She is my first calling. Uh, if 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 mom, right? You've heard it said, right? Um, what is it? What's the phrase again? I'm blanking on it. If uh, if mom's happy, what is it? Happy wife, happy life. Yeah, yeah, happy wife, happy life. Right? <laughs> oh gosh. Nope. Just kidding. I do, but under your mom's. Yeah, yeah. Mom first, then kids. There you go. Then church, then uh, coffee shop, and then then the other job, whatever that other job is. Yeah, that's the order. Yeah, I mean they're in there too, somewhere, but I'm not sure where they fit, actually. Hmm. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> Got to figure that out where you guys where you guys fit in this. Okay. Okay. Bag up. Get on track. Your wife is your responsibility. Your wife is your joy. Your wife is your calling. She is your life. You guys know this, okay? But Jesus is saying. He's giving instructions to wives. Hey, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, this is who you should be. You should be considering your wife your everything and chasing after her with all that you have. So then he goes on in verses 25 to 31 to expand again on what husbands should do. Uh, Ephesians 25 to 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? If your wife is your responsibility, men, then that means you give up yourself. You check yourself at the door, okay, and leave it there and fight for your wife, whatever it may be. Give yourself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does, the church Because we are members of his body. You see this picture that Jesus is presenting for us. He is this bridegroom that would come, step into time, and give his very life, literally his life on a cross, bloodied in a way that we cannot imagine. You guys have all seen the passion of the Christ. You know that that is just a figment of how painful it was, right? And he took that on for us. And so Jesus challenges us, Paul challenges us here, and says, the mystery is profound. I'm saying that this way that a husband ought to love and cherish his wife as his responsibility, his joy, and his calling is the same. It refers to Christ in the church. So love your wife as you love yourself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What do we do with this passage? How do we go from it? Okay. First, in marriage, men, die to yourself. Die to yourself. I, I know that you can't. I know that it's hard. I know that every day is, uh, you know, uh, you're going you're gonna to do it. Some days you're going to do well. Some days you're not going to do well. But continually, men who are married, die to yourself. Check yourself at the door and, and serve your wife as your responsibility, as your joy, as your calling. Women who are married, respect your husband. Respect your husband. God has called you. To be a helpmate to him. That's what he what he says about it in uh, in, in Genesis when he's instituting marriage. He says, I'm gonna call you, Adam, a helper, someone to come and help you, right? Because there's a calling, a place in your life, and you need help. Y'all women can say amen to that, right? Some man that he's called you to needs some help in here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seriously. So step up under that calling and say, I want to help you. Okay? God has called us together for a purpose, and I'm here to help. And so respect your husband. What does it look like? Not talking bad about him in public, right? Right? That's, you know, honor him with your words. Honor him with your actions. Honor him in your way of life. I say this, you guys have heard me twice, probably some of you, uh, heard me preach a marriage sermon, right? Right? And I'm not calling you to understand your husband, okay? As much as I'm not calling men to understand your wife, okay? Turns out we can't understand each other. Yeah, it's kind of a problem, right? And that's why this is such a hard calling. Even though you don't understand, come under and support and encourage and strengthen and pray for one another. As you submit to one another in reverence for Christ, God has called you to live a holy life, he has purchased it on a bloody cross. And so give all that you have to submitting unto one another and as a wife submitting to a husband and as a, wife, and as a husband loving your wife as she is your responsibility and your joy and your calling. This is what it tells us about marriage. In the church, it says this. Listen, guys, Christ died for us. His purpose in coming, his purpose in the advent, his incarnation purpose, is to save us. Jesus, our God saves, okay? That's his purpose. He will save his people from their sin. That's what is said of him. Man, let us cast off all this sin that clings so closely and fix our eyes on Jesus, who, despising the shame, set himself unto the cross as the author and perfecter of our faith. Man, as a church, just we have to look around each other in this room and and stop thinking about how we need to be served and start thinking about how we can serve one another 100% of the time. It is so easy in every single church, ours or any others, to get fixated on how we're being helped or how we're being served. And God has called us to ignore that. If he has called you to be in this church, then he is telling you, ignore your selfish interests. That's what, Paul, what, what Luke preached to us last week. Cast aside your selfish interests. Because Christ cast aside a throne in heaven to come and die on a cross. And so in light of that, we too have to stop fixating on ourselves and how we're served and start looking around the room and going, how can I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I lay my life down as Christ laid his life down for me? And I guarantee if we stop looking into ourselves to see how we're being fulfilled and start looking out to who God has called us to serve, that is one another, then there won't be any problems. Unity will prevail in that because we'll be walking in step with Jesus, who cast aside his selfish interest and served one another with all that he had. So, church, if if we're going to be a bride of Christ, who is set before him in purity and holiness, the way he's called us to be, we have to stop looking at how we're served and start looking at how we can serve. Let's die to ourselves. This is the fact. Your flesh is going to die. Everyone know that there's only two things certain in life? Death and taxes. Yeah. Death and taxes. Yes, indeed. Um, you're going to die. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. And so just think about this, right? I love that Jesus calls us to be born again, Right? He talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, how do you do these great wonders? He's like, if you want to enter the kingdom, you're going to need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, that's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you that. He's like, I'm answering your real question, which is how do you get into the kingdom? And how you get in the kingdom is by dying to your former self and walking into a new life. Okay, your flesh is going to die, so you might as well kill it now. Okay, that's the reality of it. It's so... Uh, It clings so closely, just like a Hebrew says, it clings so closely. The sin entices and clings so closely. So be born again. Be born into a new life and let this old life pass away. Listen, I know that is a hard challenge because it clings Okay? And you have to actively place your faith in Jesus and walk and follow him. It is not, a I got saved at, uh, at uh, youth camp, and now I'm good forever. No, it's like an every day, taking up my cross, following Jesus with all that I am every single day, continually placing my faith in him. It started at a point, for sure. I, yeah, I, d- I definitely can. My testimony, I would give it to you. I was saved when I was seven years old. I was baptized, okay? I was not perfect then, okay? And I'm not perfect now. But what has been true is the thing we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark. The disciples of Jesus kept listening to Jesus' words and responding to them. And that's all I've done in my life. say, Jesus, what am I supposed to do today? And so I challenge you guys, if you want to be born again, be born again. Walk in a new life. Cast off the flesh and be born again. That is the only way into the kingdom of God. It is simply by placing your faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The message of the gospel and of our church is the same every Sunday. I'm sorry that it's repetitive, but it's repent and believe. That's it. That's it every single time. There's no complexity to this. There's no new revelation to this, okay? Jesus came and died for your sin, and he's calling us as followers of Christ to die to ourselves every single day and to serve those he places around us. Firstly, if you're married, your spouse. Secondly, if you have kids, your kids. Thirdly, and, and so on and so forth. You guys get the idea, right? Jesus, when he was telling them that he was headed to the cross in Mark eight thirty four to 35, said this. He called the crowd to him with his disciples and said to them, If any of you would follow after, if, follow, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. There's nothing about your faith walk that you are going to logically be able to reconcile. If you're trying to logically reconcile your faith, you're going to miss it. Every single day, It is a denial of your flesh and a faith trust in Christ that he has died for you. If you try and go through some empirical scientific method to try and understand your faith, you're going to miss it. Jesus is calling on your heart right now and saying, follow me, trust me, believe me, place your faith in me, die to yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Lose your life in the flesh right now. And follow me wherever I call you to go. That truth of the gospel, of Jesus' death for us, should wreck our entire lives. From the moment you come to meet him to the day you die, it is going to transform you. That is the process we call sanctification. And it starts when you become a believer and ends when you die and go into glory in heaven. Okay? It doesn't stop. He just keeps showing you the depths of your heart and how beautiful it is that he would die for a person like you. A wretch like me, he would save. That is amazing grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge it is to, um, to follow you each day. God, we, we confess that we are completely inadequate, for the task you have called us to. In our work, in our family, in our friends, in our marriage, we are inadequate. And so, God, we recognize we are completely dependent on you. We're dependent on you for our technology to even work this morning, God. We we are completely in your hands. But we thank you, God, that you are faithful. You are perfectly faithful. And so even when we don't see the answers that are ahead to to tomorrow or the next day or the next, God, we know we can trust you. And so, God, we pray that, um, that we would allow the life of Christ, his willingness to die on our behalf, that we would allow that to transform every single relationship we have. Lord, let it transform our relationship with our spouse. Let it transform our relationship with our boss. Let it transform our relationship with our employees, if we have them. Let it transform our relationship with our parents and our kids and our friends. God, let the death of Jesus transform who we are every single day. Your kingdom is here when we are born again when we walk in this repentance and belief in what you have done on our behalf. We're so thankful for you, Jesus. So thankful that you came. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.